0: I'm going to say a few words about habits, and I'm going to start by using a habit uh, that I learned as a nun to start any speaking about the Buddha's teachings with this chant. We actually all did it earlier, but I'm going to do it in the Pali language, which is the the language of the teachings of the Buddha in our tradition. Namo Bhagavato arahato sama sambudasa. Namo arahato sama sambudasa. Namotasa bhagavato arahato Buddha, Sangha, So if you had to make a guess, how much of our life do you think is governed by habit? What do you think, Laura? <laughs> My morning routine and, you know, the things yeah. I do the same every day. Mm-hmm. So it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have any thoughts? I think everything that we do in our life is like a habit. Because we are right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, yeah, everything on the day we are born, right? And through the life, whatever we learn, it becomes habitual. Yes, from the time we're born, we learn to to do certain things in a repetitive way, and we go through our life uh, doing so much of that. There's a um, William James wrote in 1892, "All our life." so far as it has definite form, is but a mass of habits. So I think that's what Richard is saying, and you're pointing at Laura, you get up in the morning, you do certain things. You come home from work, say, you do certain things. Well, what's interesting about habits is that some of them help to lead us in a positive direction you might say to help us be happier and have less stress be healthier and other habits lead the other way Um, bring on more stress um, less happiness and from the perspective of the teachings of the Buddha we look at habits that we engage in regularly and we see how that begins to build our character and our character um, develops our our karma our patterns that follow on through our life and even in into the next life in Buddhism I don't know what you, what your belief system is around this. But in Buddhism, we think of a lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, and our habits set that up. So it's pretty important to look at them and to understand how they work and how they get developed and how we can change them if we want to change them. And we've probably all had some experience with changing our habits. You know, just deciding, I want to do this differently. I want to start an exercise program. Or I want to stop smoking. Or, you know, something probably has come through our life by this time that we've learned to change it. Of course, there are a lot of habits that we don't even bring to a conscious awareness. And... One thing that I've found interesting is studying about habits a little bit from the neuroscience side. So they've done you know, some research about this now, now that they've been able to sort of map out what parts of the brain are associated with what kinds of activities. And there was a study done uh, using rats where they would wire up their brain so they could watch the brain activity and they made mazes that were very simple, little t shaped it go run down this this aisle, and then they could turn right or left and if they turn left, there's a piece of chocolate and so the the mazes would would have the maze would have a gate, and as soon as the gate would open, it would click and the first time the rat comes out and it's you know, sniffing and and clawing and kind of going up the sides and looking all around and sniffing and kind of going down and turning this way and just and the brain activity was really all you know, lots of brain activity around you know the sniffing, the scratching, the you know the the movement and then you could probably smell the chocolate but didn't quite know where it was and then. You know, turn and find. Oh, if I go over here, okay, I got the chocolate. The brain activity, Whoo, who, 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 you know. <laughs> and then um, a few days later, some of that activity would slow down. Um, the brain would get quieter, and you wouldn't see any activity for scratching and sniffing anymore. And the rat would do less of that, and then there would, you know, be a little bit more, maybe they wouldn't know yet which way to turn, but um, there there would be a point where they could identify that the rat was making a decision about which way to turn, and there would be brain activity around that, and then... Eventually, after a week, there wouldn't the the rat would get faster and faster at running the maze, and there'd be less and less activity in the brain. And pretty soon, the only brain activity it, that was in sort of the the frontal cortex or whatever it is it's, would be when the gate went click, and when they got to the the chocolate, and all the other brain activity was down in the Basal ganglia, kind of in the primitive part of the brain. So you, where it's not, where you wouldn't be conscious of actual thinking. And that's what happens to us, too. Does everybody here drive? Do you remember what it was like when you started to drive? Well, I did. Drive. you have driven. <laughs> I don't drive either. We're not allowed to drive. Well, it's not part of our... You can ask us about our lives, too, at some point, if you're interested. But we have, we have a 311 rules, and just about every part of our life is, you know, kind of... Well, there's a lot of habit involved, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of new habits. Um, not so new for Ama. She's been doing this 25 years. Mm-hmm. All that time has been a lot of habit formation, I'm sure. And that's a lot of, of what happens in a monastic life. You're given these habits to develop that help to purify your mind and you know straighten out your behavior and help you be happier and more calm. Anyway, back to the rats. <laughs> oh, no, back to driving. <laughs> so um, when we first start a skill like driving, that takes so many different decisions and... Perception. Um, Do you remember how tiring it was and intensive it was? You had to think. You had to think when you turn a corner, like how far to turn the wheel. And then it's got to go back again. (laughs) Um, You have to think about putting how far you put your foot on the gas to make the car go. I learned on a clutch, you know, like. You know takes a lot of a lot of concentration and thinking, but then, how long does it take before that all of that has sunk into the lower the lower parts of the brain and you know now you probably from the time you get your keys out of your pocket, there's so much that's automatic you you unlock your door you get it you open the door, you get in, maybe you adjust the seat, maybe you adjust the mirrors, maybe you don't have to. You know to put the key in the ignition, to turn it to the right, to put your foot on the gas and just how much, and you don't think about any of it. Instead, you're thinking, oh, no, Susie forgot her lunch, got to go, you know, <laughs> or whatever, you know. Backing out of the driveway, you're, you're using your perception to judge distances, you're watching for traffic, and you're not even really like doing very much of that on a the, on the conscious level. So we have a lot of habits like that that have gone way deep. So that when they were doing studies on, on rats, and they also did some studies with monkeys, what they noticed was there was a certain part of the brain where you could identify you know, what it's like when they get the goal, when they get the chocolate. And when they were doing this with monkeys, they did a kind of uh, um, experiments where the monkeys would be watching a computer screen and when certain shape would come up on the pre- computer screen they'd get some juice, would get dropped into their mouth from a little mm-hmm. tube that came down. They'd get some juice to drink. And the monkeys would get really good at... They had to hit a lever when they saw the, the right shape and then they would get the reward. And what they noticed was... That once that became a habit, that part of the brain that would fire when you get the reward, oh, I've got the reward, would start to fire as soon as they saw the shape. So you see the shape, you get like this excitement, I'm going to get this reward, or I've already gotten it. So they thought, what would happen if we didn't give it to them? and the monkeys got angry or they got depressed. So the researchers started to see how this sets up a craving. Like you you have this craving once you have this habit there's something that triggers the habit you do the habit you get some reward. This is really how habits work. This is kind of their anatomy. And when we're used to getting that reward, there's a craving already way back here. So, you know, like, we didn't start out knowing that a box of donuts was something we wanted. (laughs) First time, you don't know. (laughs) Eventually you learn. (laughs) And as soon as you see it, you know, then there's that craving and you want it so this is really useful to recognize why because if we make this conscious then we can change a habit we don't want to have any habit made conscious can be changed and how do you change it well you change it by One way, one way, you know, I'm sure if you've changed habits, you know, people, some people, you know, if you want to quit smoking, for example, there's a lot of different things you can try. One way to change habits is, that's all right, you can sit on a chair too if you feel like it. Just make yourself comfortable, yeah. You want to, you can look at the habit, look at the, the behavior and notice, okay, What is it that causes this to start? What's the trigger? What's the behavior? What's the reward? So um, this one person was examining. He noticed that he was eating cookies every afternoon at work. Go down to the cafeteria, buy a, a couple cookies and eat them. He was starting to put on a little weight. He thought, okay, I want to understand what this is, what's this about? Well, the behavior itself is the easiest to identify. The behavior itself was he'd go down, get the cookies, and eat them. What was the trigger? It's not always obvious right away. Was the trigger that it was a certain time in the afternoon? Was it that he was feeling hungry? Another part of this routine would be he'd go down to the cafeteria and he'd get the cookies and he'd always run into some colleagues and he'd chat a while. Was it that he just wanted to talk to somebody a little bit? Was it that he just wanted to get up and get away from his desk and have a break? Was he wanting the, the sweetness, the sugar hit, the calorie hit, you know, a little stimulus? Okay, so, hmm, not sure. What's the reward? Well, that's that's the other part. You know, like, what was the, like, I guess I guess some of the things I mentioned were really the reward because, you know, then he gets the high of the sugar or he gets the satisfaction of having talked to someone or whatever. So he had to do a little investigation and decided, well, what would happen if instead of getting cookies, I get an apple? Will I feel like I got the reward afterwards. So that would tell him something. And he found out that it didn't have to be cookies. And apple was just as good. Um, But he was still doing the same behavior of going down and talking to people. So he thought, well, maybe it's just this idea of connecting with someone. So he decided instead of eating, he would get up and he would go... Um, just talk to somebody else in another in another office for a few minutes, and then go back. And so he said, what he found was, if you if 15 minutes after doing this, he still wanted to go get the cookies, that wasn't the reason. There were a few other things he identified, like the time of day, and what he discovered after kind of you know really um, observing himself. Was that it was around three o'clock in the afternoon that's when he would want to get up and leave his desk if he went to talk to somebody else, he would felt completely satisfied and could go back to work didn't need the the cookies and the weight gain and the <laughs> okay that's a pretty simple example. but people have used this same kind of method for gambling for smoking for you know and sometimes habits can also be connected to other habits. So there's this story of this woman named Lisa, who, um, she had, well, she was going through a pretty tough time. Um, She had lost her job. She was, um, her husband decided to leave her. And her work history was like she never was able to hold a job more than a year. And she struggled with um, with weight gain all her life. And she was just now very depressed, gotten into a really low place. And she also had various issues with debt in her life. And she just was feeling like, you know, she had to have some control over something in her life everything just seemed out of control and so she decided to go to Cairo she always wanted to see the pyramids and her credit cards weren't maxed out hey why not (laughs) I guess she went to Cairo and she got there, and she was in a hotel room, and, and she was kind of jet-lagged, and it was dark, and she knocked over a water pitcher, and it crashed to the floor, and then she she felt so miserable. She's still, like, just so, you know, broken-hearted and miser- feeling miserable about herself, and She tried to light a cigarette, and she started to smell something burning, and she was lighting an ink pen. And this was, like, it for her. Like, I can't even smoke right, you know. And so she got up and got cleaned up, and she took a taxi out to the pyramids. And she looked out over the desert, and she said to herself, I want to trek across this desert. And I know I'm not in any condition physically to be able to do that. But I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this determination. This is something I'm going to do. So she went back home and she thought, one of the main things I'm going to have to stop is smoking. I'm going to have to stop smoking if I'm going to be able to do this. So she did. She replaced smoking with jogging. So it's kind of like the, the cookie example she found out what the trigger was, and she, she did jogging instead. She set up this routine, and she held to it. That led to her changing her eating habits. It changed the way she worked. She, she started to plan differently. It had this cascade effect in her life. Within a year, she had a job that she liked, that she was doing well in, she started school. Within two years, she bought a house. She was engaged. After the first 11 months, she was back in Egypt, and she was trekking across the desert. But her whole life had been turned around because she was. She started with this determination, and she changed the, this fundamental habit. From the perspective of the Buddha's teachings, the Buddha was very much involved, he was into method. He taught method. How are you going to live your life in a way that's going to make you happier? I never get the sense that it's like moralizing, oh, you should or you shouldn't, or you're, you know, that way. It's all more about, you know, what really works, what really accords with the nature of things in a way that this leads to happiness or this leads to suffering and stress. (coughs) And a lot of our habits can lead us in one direction or the other. There are a lot of teachings I love from the Buddha, and this is one of the books um, filled with his teachings, and there are other volumes. This is called The Middle-Length Discourses, and it's arranged just by how long the this teaching was that he gave. And I'm not going to read it all to you, but in this particular teaching, he goes through forty-four things, and he's basically pointing out this is the way to happiness and this is a way to unhappiness. So he says, others will be cruel, but we shall not be cruel here. So cruelty. Cruelty is something that leads to unhappiness. I mean we could talk about the ways in which it does or what's going on in someone's mind when they're finding joy in cruelty. But I think in general, our sense is pretty understanding that, yeah, I'm going to be happier if I'm kind than cruel. Others will kill living beings. So the Buddha goes through what um, are the five precepts. If you're familiar with Buddhism, you've probably heard these before. The first one is to not take life of any kind. And the Buddha says, you know, others will kill living beings, but we'll abstain from doing that here. Taking what's not given, which is kind of a non-stealing, but it's kind of a refinement on that, so to be sure that it was really meant for us. To refrain from using sexuality in a way that's harmful to ourselves or others, to refrain from lying. He says others will speak falsehood, but we will abstain from false speech here. Others will speak maliciously, but we'll abstain from malicious speech here. Others may will speak harshly, but we will abstain from harsh speech here. So you know, we've all known someone, or even ourselves, you know, that we may have a habit of harsh speech, or someone we know may. You know how it feels, and you know where it leads. Um, and when we, if we have a habit like that, we've probably learned it very early on. One time, I was I was giving a teaching. It was a day-long retreat, and I offered that during certain parts of the day when people were doing walking meditation so I didn't have to be guiding them or anything. I was in a small room where people could come and talk to me personally. This one man came to me, and he said, I'm a liar. I've been a liar ever since I was a kid. And I said, well, you know, when children lie, usually it's because of being afraid of punishment. You know, this is something you can change. This is a habit. You don't have to hold that perception. You know, even the thought, I'm a liar, you don't have to hold it like that. You can recognize that there's this habit that's been developed. Look at the reasons why it happens. This is something you can change. And it's, it's very hopeful to me that any habit we make conscious, we can change. And when we see the suffering in something, when we see how it causes others pain or our own pain, that we can bring that to our awareness and we can say, Look, I can do something different with this if there's a fear that arises because of what someone would, in this person's case, that the truth, if it if it feels like the truth isn't as impressive or it's, you know, somehow not going to lead to the results he thinks a lie would lead to, to really, really reflect on that and look at what really happens when we lie. You know, the the mess we can make. First of all, we have to remember a lot more, but... <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't as easy as I get older, I find. Not that I'm lying; <laughs> I just want <laughs> you to know. <laughs> so, can we, can we wind up so yes, yes. Um, so, I'm not going to read through all of these. I'll finish the five precepts, though. The one on speech, um, and then there's, and then the last precept that the Buddha gave was avoiding drugs and alcohol because we get into so much trouble when we use drugs and alcohol and it's not like there's something morally wrong with that it's just that it can lead to so many problems so he he wanted to encourage us not to do that so that's That's what I have to say tonight about habits. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.